0: At the end of the first sitting this morning, I had uh, given a general uh, invitation that if there are any deep aspects of the Dharma that you would like to uh, listen to, hear a little bit about, then just leave me uh, a note and I will endeavor to uh, explore. And uh, it very much. uh, appreciated the response (laughs) so (coughs) if you've got a week to spare we'll just cancel the next retreat and I'll just (laughs) talk indefinitely (laughs) it's a small uh, small thing it made me smile a little bit In the first sitting uh, uh, today, which you were all at, weren't you? I got up halfway through it and went out of the room and came back as silently as possible. And it's a a red-letter day for me because it's the first time in 33 years of teaching that I've got up to go outside to go to the toilet and come (laughs) back. (laughs) A sort of movement from one restroom to another (laughs) (laughs) the difficulty is that there's often more letting letting go going on in the other restroom than in this one I thought I should mention it on my blog about my trip to the restroom it's a red letter day anyway, (laughs) apologies so I had a look through and I must say credit and appreciation to you or some of the themes and suggestions. And what I would like to do is to weave it in a little bit together. But the thread which will run uh, through will be on the conditioned and the uh, unconditioned and uh, make that the exploration with some of the other threads and themes that you uh, touched upon. We have said over the days how important it is in the relationship to, to the subtleties of grasping, that any expression of grasping anywhere will reinforce something. And once something is reinforced via the grasping, it gains a self ness to it. That equally applies to the language, as I mentioned, of the here and now. Too much emphasis. Grasp onto a something, it gains a selfness, it gains an itness, a somethingness to it. Grasp onto the idea of personality, make something of uh, that arising, and therefore there will be a simultaneous grasping or expectation on something behind personality, which we call uh, essence. Grasp onto uh, five hindrances, and there will be a, a grasping on, let us say, to an idea of true nature or Buddha nature or whatever. So even the Dharma teachings and all their beauty and in their depth, there is a constant uh, reminder to us in the teachings, the practices, and the methods that nothing whatsoever, in any way whatsoever, is worth being identified with or no grasping onto, whatever it uh, may, may be. And if the sense and the feeling, uh, the intimations for that, do become a little clearer uh, for us, it then possibly opens up the door for another kind of uh, exploration. And then we m- might ask, what does things actually kind of simply, as it were, boil down to? Let me put it, uh, in, in that way. When we free ourselves from all that... Um, enters and endorses or makes up our life. And we, all the stories, the pictures, the images, the religions, the philosophies, the forms, the methods and techniques, putting all of that aside, cutting through that with the power of our awareness and our uh, wisdom, then we are left with some bare simple actualities which we could usefully and appropriately refer to as the conditions which are arising. You and I sit in this hall here. Men and women and one uh, lovely uh, child. And we sit in that hall here. And it has taken, for the presence of you and I, countless conditions, supportive conditions, actual, both in terms of ourselves, our motivation and intention, but all else that goes on in our immediate world and further afield that has enabled the opportunity for men and women to meet in one locality, and one just thinks at every level, all that happened from the support, friend and family, and sometimes more than support, you know, people may have said to you, "Oh, please go on a retreat." <laughs> <clears throat> you know they've been begging you, they, 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 they've offered you a free latte when you come home or whatever. <clears throat> and, um, and others have uh, and you've decided from your own uh, initiatives uh, there, but Movement and travel and, and environment and costs and, and... All these things make it possible. So there's a story called How I Got to a Retreat. What is happening on my retreat. That's the story. With the story, in the story, manifesting through the story, one with the story, is all the conditions that make it possible. And the Dharma teachings is profoundly interested in the conditions as it were, around which the story is built, interpreted, drawn upon. And then the Dharma teachings are an encouragement, and I will speak about different aspects of this, is to look into uh, and to in- uh, inquire what are the conditions in life which are extraordinarily influential and which you and I as men and women of the earth really need to give attention <coughs> attention to, and not to forget any of the four conditions, that they are rather, there are four of them, deeply embedded in the being, in the awareness, in the exploration. And if you and I keep real interest and attention into these four primary areas of conditioning, not only do they serve as a great force for insight and realisation about the problems of life, Not only can they touch great depth of being, but uh, also give uh, direct intimation of what the unconditioned is. What realisation is. That means making real the unconditioned. We look at the conditions without the story, stripping everything away uh, there. And in that observation and interest, as I mentioned um, a few moments ago, The exaggerated value that can arise on the uh, here and now, as one example, may inhibit us from looking at one primary area or sets of conditions. And that is the conditions which are running back in the field of time, called the past. And how those conditions, those uh, events and stories and experiences and what has happened to us, sometimes with decision, sometimes without decision, which has gone way back in the field of time, and in the field of time, that influence, sometimes step by step, sometimes gradually, and it has given shape. It, 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 it's had its fruit. It's bare, born an outcome in the present moment. And as a human being, when you and I have the willingness to uh, reflect back, that means no grasping onto the here and now. And in the reflecting back, sometimes our reflection needs to be explicitly clear. In the specifics, in the naming process, of what contributed to what contributed to what contributed to what that contributed to this. As the Buddha says, owing to that, those stream of past conditions, This arises. What tends to happen, when you and I are faced with some difficult circumstance, something problematic arises in our life, something goes uh, wrong, often the primary wish, all too humanly enough, is to end the problem, to get out of it, for it to stop as quickly as possible, to move on from it, to let go of it. And... Once that issue, that tension, that stress, that anxiety, that blame, that anger, whatever, has gone on uh, from it, we've gone on from it, often there's a kind of reluctance Mm -hmm. to reflect back and see what really was going on amidst all of this. And to see if we can track and be clear about what was being ignored. What were the blind spots? What was not being given attention to? And you and I, as men and women of the earth, very easily, what manifests problematically in the present moment, for ourselves, for others, for both, whatever, is due to what has been ignored, what really hasn't been given real attention to. And we've hardly realised, so to speak, that it's gradually crept up on us not deliberately, not intentionally and in it's creeping up on us it's then borne some fruit in the present moment what in Buddhist language is called karma and the fruit of karma and sometimes we wonder why am I like this? what's going on with me here? and it needs the power of attention to, as I said earlier to repeat a little, to really look back to see how I was Buddha uses quite uh, strong language here he speaks of past lives it's often thought of oh we're talking you know some before birth it's not intended like that I doubt it anyway but more importantly it's how was the self the I and the my being reborn in the past how did the I and my emerge what was the attitude what was the intention what was the blind spot what was I taking for granted Who and what was I seeing as having continuity? What was I afraid of? And I need to look and see this rhythm and flow, this emerging conditions in which the I is involved in some way or other, the I, the me, the my, and suddenly it bears fruit in the present. And then we find we can't deal with the situation. We feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of of our life or of what's, what's happening. Because we haven't really looked We've taken our state of mind, our life, our values, our partner, our circumstances, our meditations, our teacher, our teachings, or whatever. We've perhaps taken something for granted, or someone for granted, taken life for granted, we've taken the circumstances. And it only takes one thing like that for continuity, that the blind spots in there, the non-seeing which is in there, and then suddenly, whew, wow, why am I going through this? How has this happened to me? But we have the capacity to look, to find. This is one set of the flow of conditions. And it's vitally important, because we tend more likely to ask questions, deep and important questions, in our unhappiness, than in our happiness. Sometimes we need the unhappiness. You know, when we're very happy, we don't go, Oh my God, why am I happy? I can't Must be something terribly wrong with me. I you know, better go and see my therapist. <laughs> Apologies. I don't know. <laughs> Give the note to Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, in the state of unhappiness, in the state of unhappiness, we ask, what's this unhappiness about? What is it that he didn't see clearly? And it would be a terrible pity if we pinned the responsibility on what I've been calling over the days here self or other. One might say, oh, I am unhappy to, I'm unhappy now my life is like this because of and the poor old parents invariably have to take the rap. This is a blind spot. This is just cause and effect. One's not tracking very well. One's come to a very simplistic and rather immature solution. We have to look and track what are the events, what's unfolding itself, what's unfolding. And then we may see more, more clearly. And therefore, Dharma teachings, what are the Dharma teachings about? Very simple. The practice is to change the conditions which cause the suffering. There's no other practice. To change the conditions which cause the suffering. There's no other practice. And all the meditations, the observations, the mindfulness, being aware of the body, uh, the slow, painful walking, and all of that <laughs> -- is primarily a preparation to be able to stay clear and focused and reflective enough to be able to observe what the conditions are, see what they are, and say, "This has gone on long enough. this has to change." The very fact that you might come and talk with Shaila, or go for a walk with Shaila, or uh, talk with me, whatever it may be about, and uh, of course we greatly appreciate your openness, and your honesty, and the straightforwardness there. But, talking about whoever, wherever, with whoever, is absolutely no substitute for clear intention to change the conditions. And we can deceive ourselves, and it's rather tragic that we will speak about as if the speaking about our issues our, what we need to be clear about whatever, is the indicator that, of change it's not sometimes we're just talking about but intention is significant the Buddha has used this word intention, volition significantly to make sure that in the inner life the factor of intention is really clear uh, for us, and therefore, sometimes we have to ask ourselves: Is the intention there? And the analogy which he gives the Buddha—that is—gives uh, a, a, a potent one. And I'm rather reminded of it in, in Gaya, where we have the uh, uh, annual retreat, the place of the Buddha's enlightenment, and the, uh, the uh, privilege really of going there now for some thirty-three years. And someone once fell down the well and um, so I was giving it was the evening sitting and then suddenly from the bowels of the earth (laughs) I could hear help help (laughs) and um, on the one side of the monastery there was a well and one of the blessed yogis had been doing their walking up and down meditation (laughs) Slowly, mindfully, step by step. <laughs> and the monks you know, obviously saw everybody on the planet knew where the well was. And this person <laughs> went there, step by step by step by their step and then sh- straight down. It's a new version of going deep. <laughs> And so we heard this, help, help, coming out, coming around. So we went out to find, uh, what was it was, and there was this person standing down, shining the torch down, and at the bottom of this well, waist deep in dirty water, and requesting some liberation. <laughs> and and the Buddha reminded me of an analogy of the Buddha he said we whoever the we is can throw a rope to somebody down the bottom of the well (laughs) but one can't do anything even though one is prepared to give the support and take the strain the person has to have the intention to take a hold of the rope And a lot of the difficulties and sometimes the frustrations for all of us inwardly, outwardly, with ourselves, with others is that a primary intention the second one here is of the taking hold of the rope or in this case is the intention to make the change is the intention to get out of the situation in which one is in. And that's a factor It's a very important factor for a human being. And then that factor may have to be accompanied, because it may not have the strength on its own, may have to be accompanied with skillful means, with the support of the wise, called the Sangha, with the support of men and women with particular skills in heart, mind, body and spirit. Put those resources together, and out of the darkest and deepest hole a person can emerge still the intention is required. And for a person who uh, is on um, medication and, and needs the support of that, it still requires the, the intention of the person to take the medication. So we have to see, in looking at these fields of conditionality, am I looking at the conditions which preceded? As I said to you the other day, the, the, uh, the Buddha rarely uses the word hetu, cause. He speaks of dependent arising conditions, of conditionality. Can I, am, am I engaged in the reflection on what brought this about, first step? Second, is what is the intention that gives support to it? And it's very easy to misinterpret the intention with ourselves and others. And I had a classic example of this uh, just a few, few months ago. It really made me smile. In uh, Britain, we have many, many, I don't know, I'm sure it's the same here, but in Britain, many, many festivals. Every weekend there are festivals and festivals. And the biggest one is the uh, Glastonbury Festival. And a mere 185,000 people were at it uh, 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 this year. It's about uh, two hour from uh, my home. And Britain being Britain, that it's not only um, the subcontinent, in the subcontinent of India that has monsoons, we have monsoons, just that ours are 12 months a year. And <laughs> the monsoon came down in the festival, and huge, it was like one big mud pack. Uh, I wasn't at the festival, but friends were telling me. And there are thousands of people with tents. And I was at another festival, was speaking at it, called the Buddha Field Festival, about two and a half thousand of us uh, go. And one person said, Christopher, last week I was at Glastonbury at the festival. And he said, it's terrible. Consumerism has entered into the festivals. And he said, people have come. And he said, there were two or 3,000 tents there. And people just bought a tent for the weekend, bought a sleeping bag for the weekend, I means four or five days. And then a bit of rain, they can't be bothered to take home the wet tent, and they just left them there. You know, terrible waste. What a, you know, horrible thing to, to do. Just consume it and And I said, well, that re- really is, you know, really unfortunate that uh, uh, people have, uh, can just throw these things away and discard them. Within the hour, I was speaking to uh, a friend of mine. And a friend of mine said, Christopher, the person who told you that didn't hear the announcement. And I said, what was the announcement? The announcement was put out at Glastonbury. Would all those who have a tent please leave all your tents behind, all your uh, sleeping bags. We'll clear out all the drugs and the beer that you've left behind and clean up the inside of those tents because we all know what goes on behind the zip. <laughs> <laughs> and there are volunteers with trucks to drive the trucks with the tents for the refugee camps in Africa. So here, it's a perception that the intention is consumerism, don't care, I've got money, I can just leave my tent behind. The person doesn't have a little piece of information. The person didn't hear the announcement. Probably because he was stoned. (laughs) (laughs) And the announcement goes out and there's an appeal for them to be left behind and people let go and just gave them etc. There were other difficulties later. But other. So sometimes in the field of conditions not only is a human being required as an act of uh, maturity, let's put it like that, integrity, to look at what is the intention there, but also to be very clear and and sometimes that will mean to be to ask if possible what is the intention if we don't get a sense of what the intention is we are very prone to blame and judgment very pro- prone to assuming i know what that person's intention actually is and sometimes we have to ask carefully sensitively slowly about the intention and therefore I say the Buddha, in the field of conditionality, first is the history of it. Second is the actual intention that goes with it. The third in all of this is what is arising, this is important here, in the present, in what is called time and place. In the Buddha's words, in the immediacy of things. So what I mean by that is, but sometimes in our life, an event occurs. It seems like it's totally out of the blue. We didn't plan it, we didn't think about it, we didn't know about it, etc. And it just takes one small point of information sometimes. And we know not how or what or where, but it just arises and has an impact on us, whatever it might be. And part of our skill and our exploration in the conditionality of things is to recognise what is arising in a time and place. What is arising in the immediacy, to use the Buddha's words here, in the situation. And the importance of this awareness is if something is going on for us in the immediacy of a situation, it might be difficult, distressful, painful and difficult. But does it run out of the situation? Understand? One's feeling unhappy about something. One's feeling under pressure about something. One's feeling misunderstood. One is blaming or feeling blamed. Or an unexpected piece of painful news arises. And it's just given to us as a point of information. It isn't easy. But it's our practice. Can I keep that which is happening to me or that which is happening which I feel associated or identified with just to that and what terribly easily happens as we know all too well something happens in the time and place and situation we grab hold of it and it kind of it's like wearing colored sunglasses we just see that so there's a dark spot in our life Like the Buddha says, it's like a stain on the cloth. A stain on the cloth of consciousness. And then we just view everything like that. Oh, life is miserable. Everything I do is wrong. Nothing ever goes right for me. This is a terrible crisis. I can't go on like this, etc. So this is to go from the particular, which is the emerging fact and conditions, and then into the generality. About life, about about people, or, 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 or whatever, whatever it, uh, whatever it uh, might be. And that movement and that uh, view distorts and colours. Hence racism, homophobia, prejudice, conflict, generalisations about people, groups, communities, individuals, whatever it might be. It's all built... Sometimes not on any experience, just prejudices. Or a snapshot of one incident becomes a generalisation. That family, those people, my kids, my neighbours, my country, etc. And the immediacy is to be extraordinarily clear in one's life. Is in the immediacy, I'm just keeping it to the incident, And I'm not inferring a generality from the incident. I'm keeping it to the immediacy, the Buddha's words here. I'm keeping it to this time and place, this situation. In such a way, that even if I have the most difficult communication with somebody, and it goes painfully wrong, and it ends up flaming and arguing and distressing or whatever, do I have enough clarity That the next time I have contact with that person, by phone, by text, by email, by a meeting or whatever. I am not carrying a trace of what went before. Not a trace of it. There is no memory. There's just that took place in that time and place. This time and place is different. I'm not, otherwise I will use yesterday and yesteryear as the weapon for today. And this, as the Buddha says, we have to look at the flow of the conditions, look into them clearly. We have to see what the intentionality is. We have to look into the conditions of time and place. And that's going to require tremendous power of interest and focus for us in order that we are non-grasping, non-carrying, non-caught-up human beings. And therefore it's part of the process of our liberation. Sometimes, I see this in various centres uh, uh, around the world, there can be wholehearted good intentionality, whatever it might be. Common one is fundraising. You hear this voice yeah, 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 every, everywhere. More emphasis on fundraising and then on fundraising, it's a great pity. And so sometimes yeah, there is the intentionality. And the sharing and the giving and the generosity. Look at the extraordinary expressions of it in the very buildings that you and I are employing here. The difficulty with it is intentionality keeps recycling itself. There's never a point in which there is a rest. It gains a momentum. You start off work. To earn some money. And then we work further to earn more money. The intentionality is there, but it gains an, like a rolling stone, it, it gains a movement. We're, we're, mas- we're masking this movement with the language of choice. <laughs> Karma is not so easy to mask it over with the words choice. And it just gains a movement. And the movement affects ourselves, it affects our group. It affects our family, it affects the organisation, it, it affects the foundation, it affects the trust, whatever it is. And the movement is so strong, and it's so forceful, and it's so collective, nobody has the power left to say, this is enough. Nobody knows the moment, and as and has the authority, authority, individually and collectively, say, we have asked for enough. I have asked enough from myself. I have asked enough from the situation or from these people or from whatever it is. So even in healthy, wholesome, good-hearted, good-natured acts with the pure intention with it, it will become its own force. Understand? It can't stop. And then there's no point nor place in time In which the individual, or the group, or the family, or the institution, or whatever, can say, we've done enough here. Let's rest. Let's trust. Let this intention, which was valid at one point, let it just drop away. Let's not be caught up in this rolling snowball, which is just rolling over all of us. We're just caught in it. So somewhere... Between the intention, part of the conditionality, and the movement, called the action, I want, I want, I want, it might be good wanting, but it's still the wanting, and the result, there, yeah. at some point, the Dharma teachings and practice are to give us the opportunity to really rest, to really feel something which is not around intention, action and result. Understand? Something which is not about intention, action and result. And this which is not about that is the whisper of the unconditioned and liberation. It starts to speak to us of it. In the exploration, the conditions, the flow of conditions, the immediacy of the situation, attending to that and not carrying it, Today, for the next day, or next week, or month, month, or year, the intentionality, and the one, the fourth one, which is intended to bring some awareness and, uh, in a way, I think perhaps some uh, humility to us, as human beings, and in the scope of our consciousness, we are rather. um, best sense of things, rather, rather the innocent. And what I mean by that, you know, you go out and look at the night sky example, lovely night sky as you can see here. Just little information. When one remembers that there are more stars than grains of sand, and I don't know if you've ever uh, walked on one of your local beaches. I mean, it's fairly mind-boggling information. I find it anyway. So we looked up at the, the, the stars and this huge universe in which we are participating, and the human being you—what we call you, or call me—funny idea, really. But the human being, uh, the, this little event, is so infinitely tiny, 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 <coughs> etc. There that in the scheme of things, in the larger picture of things, we may say, I was born then, and I pass through my life, and I live X number of years, and then I die. And we say, there I am, moving through the field of time. It's a certain sweet, naive perspective, I have to say. If one looks more cosmically, a larger sense of things. What's the length of our life, even when we just consider the length of this earth? What is the length of our life? When we're talking millions, billions of years back, the length of our life is... That's exaggerating it. And from that perspective... where is the beginning, middle and end of our life? (laughs) Who is so bold to say oh I can separate the beginning, middle and end of your life from that perspective? So a world, human world the, uh, the consciousness, being conscious it's so ephemeral that what enters into the field called my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my stories, my sight, sound, smells, taste, touch, in the larger sense, is it's exaggerated. And it means that my capacity as an ordinary human being living this uh, extraordinary existence through, to know is compared with what's not known, with with what is not known. Understand? With what's not known, how can you know a little? Because my consciousness is pathetic. <laughs> the tiny little thing—it doesn't even allow too much in it at the same time, though you might think so. <laughs> you know, we can get a little mind state in here and a little mind state in there and a few good thoughts there and a bit of samadhi here, and a bit of love there, and a bit of compassion there, and a bit of jealousy there, and a bit of pissed off with Christopher there, and all all, all kind of dancing in and out. It's nothing. <laughs> what on earth? What on earth? Very good, Christopher. What on, <laughs> earth? What on earth are we doing making a fuss about nothing? A little, little bit in all of this. So... In the known, which is what arises in consciousness, that which is unknown, which is inaccessible in the moment, which is not even comprehended, understood, sensed, felt, thought about, whatever, nevertheless, is still having an extraordinary influence on our life. Understand? What we know about life Never mind your God-given books and never mind uh, Charlie Darwin and, uh, and all the other scientists and all the psychologists and all the meditation teachers and put the whole lot together and a lot more and your Ken Wilber's, all the whole story. Put the whole lot together. <laughs> Clap the hands. It's an exaggeration. So what's outside the field of the known Is breathtakingly phenomenal. It can't get in because we're small little creatures. And therefore there's a constant dance of the unknown entering into the known and the known going out and some more unknown coming in. The dance is going on all all the time. And no wonder we wonder, what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? So, sometimes, this is the beautiful thing, very, very, very beautiful. Another whisper of the unconditioned here. And someone was, uh, one of you was speaking to me about it. The consciousness. These sometimes not not easy to follow. Please feel free to daydream and think about five thirty. Sometimes the consciousness. In its interpretation, it's important. This, in its interpretation makes a distinction between the known and the unknown. And it separates one from the other. And in the separation of one, to say, oh, there are these things I know. I know about this, I know about that, I felt this, I had some insight into that, I have information about this, this is the known. But what, and then sometimes the unknown, as I mentioned, enters into the known. The known, the knowing, put it more precisely now, the knowing and the unknown or the unknowing is the same event. The knowing fuses, is the same event as the not knowing. And as a human being, we don't need that much knowing. The only knowing that we need is the knowing that life itself, the true nature of life and the conditions, no matter what the ebb and flow, are actually unproblematic. That's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. It doesn't matter the stories that you and I as men, women and children put onto those conditions. We'd only need to appear just clearly enough deeply enough interestedly enough so here's the unfolding conditions into the present here are the unfolding conditions of the influence of intention here are the unfolding conditions emerging in a particular time and place there are all these other events that are going on which I don't know nothing about, I don't know why they're going on but they are entering into the field of the known and Therefore, this whole dance that takes place, the knowing and the not knowing, is in the same place. There's something deep and beautiful about this. And the significance of all this is that if one really looks at the conditions, explores them, takes a great interest in them, sees that life in its best, shall we call it, true nature, whatever we want to call it, is not a problematic event it's not wrought with suffering it is its own free movement and the appreciation and the realization of this this is unconditioned why? because what the conditions are do not have the power to affect that which is realized it's not tied into the conditions and sometimes, we have a real sense of this. It's not, it's not so abstract. We might find ourselves in a time and place situation, as we do every day. And something is going on, whatever it is. And there is a clarity there in which we sense and know we're not caught up in the conditions. Whatever it might be about. We're just attending to it. There's just a response. There's just the, the, the skillfulness in this is what's unfolding, this is what has become. And that clarity of that is some revelation in that clarity, in the depth of that awareness. Of a sense of knowing which is not under the impact and the influence of the event. And sometimes you and I, we meet people and they're going through hell and high water. And one thinks, gosh, how does a person cope with it so magnificently? How are they able to handle such difficult circumstances, such painful conditions, such life-threatening uh, events? And how are they handling? They don't seem to be... They're not afraid, they're not withdrawn, they're not isolated, they're not cut off, they're totally with it. Because somewhere in the profound nature of the thing, the person is not affected by the conditions. That their truest nature, to use such a word here, is not conditioned by it. And this intimation of the Dharma teachings is to realise the unconditioned. And it's not subject to birth and death. It's not subject to any change. Because if it was, it couldn't be any liberation. If some event could happen, and that event had the destructive power to it, it would take away any liberation. Because it, the liberation would be dependent on the event. Understand? So sometimes the freedom of the being, to use such words, And the knowing there, with all the knowing and the unknowing of the events, allows life to unfold unproblematically. Unproblematically. And the lovely thing about the the Dharma teachings, as the Buddha said, he said, makes it abundantly clear, one of the most beautiful statements in all the discourses, those who understand conditionality Those who understand or see dependent arising see the Dharma. This talk is just about what the real essential uh, nature of the teachings are about. Really, inflow past and present, intentionality, the immediacy of the here and now, time and place, circumstances, all that which we don't know yet is influencing and somehow the known and the unknown has to be the same event. Recognition and acknowledgement of all that is going on means that liberation and dependent arising (laughs) unconditioned and conditioned is the same event. It's the confirmation of each other. What could be better? What could be better? May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings look at the conditionality. May all beings know that which is unaffected by the conditionality. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please?